Good to be together. I'm Charles, and today is the day. Uh, today we start the book of Revelation. Notice I'm saying Revelation, not Revelations. Uh, there's just one Revelation. Uh, you can see that second word of the book, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, we as a church are going to spend the next nine weeks exploring, unpacking, trying to make sense of this book, uh, and we really are going to need God's help. So why don't uh, you join with me as I lead us in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank and we praise you uh, for your word uh, given to us in this book of Revelation. Uh, we pray, would you open our eyes uh, so we might understand, that we might hear what you are saying to us, uh, and open our hearts that we might receive it and take it to heart. Uh, and we pray, show us Jesus, um, give us hope, uh, wake us up, uh, and bless us uh, as we do this. Uh, we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I imagine that some of us are super keen to get book, uh, get into the book of Revelation. Maybe you find all this stuff super interesting. Maybe you know your beasts from your Babylon. Uh, maybe uh, you kind of you spend time thinking about the end times. Maybe you. Maybe it's your family, uh, and so you're watching for the signs of the times, uh, waiting for the end. Maybe you're a proud pre-trib, pre-millennial dispensationalist, and you're like, I'm here. I'm ready, let's go. Uh, but for many of us, uh, Revelation is actually a book we've largely avoided. And so you may have no idea what a pre-trib, pre-millennial dispensationalist is, which is fine. Uh, but I reckon, I reckon many of us will know kind of like one or two passages, uh, maybe that one about no more tears, crying or pain. Uh, but uh, for many of us, the book is largely unfamiliar. Uh, and I think in large part, it kind of comes down to all that crazy, weird imagery that kind of really dominates most of the book. And so you've got a red dragon with seven heads. You've got beasts that come out of the water and the earth. You've got the plagues. You've got the four horsemen. And there is a cube-shaped city uh, which runs roughly the dimensions of Australia. It's big. Uh, and some have called this book the playground of heretics. Uh, and so if you're here, you want to start a cult or a sect, Revelation is the book you want. Um, the reason why, all this crazy imagery really has been used and abused. And so you've got the 144,000, which we're told is an elite group of select individuals. Uh, you've got the mark of the beast, which is... 666. Uh, we're told that's on every credit card, every barcode. My phone number actually has 666 in it, uh, so make of that what you will. Uh, maybe you've heard that the locusts uh, are really a prediction of American Apache helicopters. Uh, and I think all of this can have a number of different effects on us. Uh, as I said, maybe you're super keen because you love all this weird stuff, and maybe you're thinking, Hey, I thought the Mark of the Beast was barcodes. Um, but I think for many of us, all of this weirdness can leave us with the impression that uh, Revelation is just all too hard to understand. Uh, I can't make sense of it. It's just impenetrable. I don't know what it's saying. Uh, and so we avoid it. We go back to the Gospels or something. Uh, I wonder, is that you? Uh, I think, is that you, Jade? <laughs> um, Maybe others of us, uh, we assume that Revelation, well, it's really just all about the far-off, distant future. It's about the end times. Uh, and so it's there, if you're interested, 
But in reality, it's not all that relevant to my life here and now. Uh, And so we avoid it. It's irrelevant. Uh, And I think all of this is made worse by all the many different interpretations that you get. Uh, It's said that for every 10 commentaries, you get 15 interpretations. Uh, And so maybe you just feel lost in all of these different interpretations. Uh, And I think this has left us with a book that we've largely neglected. Um, Now, this is not a new thing. Uh, So Martin Luther, great reformer, 16th century, um, he wrote a preface to the book of Revelation in 1522. uh, And this is what he said. I can in no way detect that the Holy Spirit produced it. My spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book. Uh, Christ is neither taught nor known in it. I stick to the books which present Christ to me clearly and purely. Uh, I wonder, do you resonate with what Luther says there? Uh, Maybe not in those exact words, but is there part of you that really has neglected this book? Um, If there is... Uh, let me explain why we as a church must not and cannot neglect this book. Uh, here's why. Because there is a blessing for those who read, hear, and take it to heart. Uh, you can see it there, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, who wants to miss out on God's blessing in their lives? There is a blessing for those who read here, take it to heart. Uh, That's why we've called this series uh, Blessed. Uh, Now, just before, uh, I shared Martin Luther's preface that he wrote for the book. Uh, He was pretty negative about it. Um, Eight years later, in 1530, Martin Luther actually rewrote his preface to the book of Revelation. Uh, And so this is how he ends his new second preface. He says, We are not to doubt that Christ is with us, even when things are at their worst. For we see in this book that through and beyond all plagues, beasts, and even uh, evil angels, Christ is with his saints and wins the final victory. Uh, Martin Luther discovered the blessing that this book has to offer. Uh, My prayer is that we would too. Uh, But there's actually a danger here, uh, and the danger is this, that we mishear, that we misunderstand what this book is actually saying to us. Uh, It's not a magical blessing, as if simply listening to the Bible reading gives you some blessing. It's not like Jade has some special blessing because he did the Bible reading. Uh, We actually need to do the hard work of making sure that we listen, that we hear uh, what it says. Uh, See, it's possible to listen to something and yet to not hear what's being said. Uh, Just talk to my wife, Ash. She can tell you all about not being heard. Um, Though, if you want something fixed, talk to me. Uh, One of the great dangers with this book is that we would mishear what's being said. Uh, and miss out on God's blessing in our lives. Uh, And so, with the rest of our time together, what I want to do is I want to try and set us up to listen well to the book of Revelation. Uh, You could almost think of this as a bit of an introduction. 
Uh, uh, this sermon kind of will be a little bit more kind of teachy, but I think that will actually set us up well for the series so that we can hear and be blessed. Uh, so we'll spend most of our time in chapter one. I think this chapter actually gives us most of the things we need to read and make sense of the book. Uh, and so all I want to do is ask two questions. What is it? What is this book? And what's it about? What is it? What's it about? Uh, so let's jump in and have a think about what this book actually is. Uh, this book is actually three things. It's a letter, a prophecy, and an apocalypse. Uh, those are its genres, if you want to use that language. Uh, and it's actually uh, three things, letter, prophecy, apocalypse, and it kind of takes all of them and mashes them together. So let's work through each of those. Uh, first, it's a letter. Uh, you can see that there in verse 4. Uh, we're told who it's from and who it's to. Uh, verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Uh, now, we're told that John is the author, uh, which is almost certainly the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, and we're told, if you have your Bible, verse 9, that he was on the island of Patmos. Uh, I've got a map there. Uh, Patmos was kind of an offshore prison uh, just off the coast of modern-day Turkey. Uh, we think there was probably a marble mine on the island. Uh, and so you can imagine John surrounded by other prisoners mining for marble. That's how he spent his days. And we're told, verse 9, that he was in prison there because of the testimony of Jesus. Uh, he's there because he was preaching about Jesus. Uh, and on one particular Sunday which John calls the Lord's Day, uh, verse 10, he receives a, a vision. Um, it's a vision from God, uh, and that vision is really the content of the book. Uh, if you pay attention to verse 1, you'll see that this vision actually gets passed between a number of different people. Uh, and so we're told that God gave it to Jesus Christ, who sent it through one of his angels to give to John, and it's John's job to pass it on to those who are called the servants of Jesus. Uh, and I think that last part is really important, because it's not as though John simply got a vision and then just wrote it down for anyone who wanted to have a read. Uh, no, uh, his job was actually to pass it on to a particular group of people. Uh, in verse 4, they're simply called the seven churches of Asia, uh, but down in verse 11, we're given the names of those churches. Uh, this is what it says. It's actually Jesus speaking here. He says to John, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, all of these churches uh, were part of what was originally called Asia, which is different to what we call Asia. Uh, what they called Asia uh, was part of what we now call Turkey. Uh, you can see a map. They're all real churches, and it was John's job to send this vision to these churches. Uh, but why do I tell you all this? Because when it comes to being blessed by this book, I want us to remember that before this book is a blessing to us, it was first a blessing to these seven churches. 
Uh, and so I want you to uh, imagine that you're part of one of these churches. Uh, back in the first century, maybe it's Thyatira or something. Uh, and one day you receive this letter from John uh, telling you about this vision he had. Uh, and so uh, we as a church, we read the letter aloud so that everybody can hear it. Uh, and when we finish reading it, everyone just sits back and goes, wow, we have been blessed by this letter. Uh, this letter is such a blessing to us. Um, and I want us to actually kind of keep this like little mental picture in mind as we read the book. Uh, because the things in this book cannot mean to us what it did not mean to those original churches. Uh, I'll say it again. This book cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. Uh, because while this book was written for us, uh, it was written, it wasn't written to us. It was written to them for us. Uh, and I think this actually helps us understand what the blessing of the book actually is. Uh, because all of these churches, they were all, all facing a different set of challenges. Uh, we read about what those challenges were in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, we get kind of seven letters to these seven churches. Uh, and so for Ephesus, their challenge was to recapture the love that they had at first. Uh, for Smyrna, it was to stand firm amidst persecution. Uh, for Pergamum, to repent of their idolatry, uh, and so forth. And so when it says that this book will bless those who hear it, what it's saying is that this book will help the Ephesians recapture their first love. It will help those in Smyrna to stand firm. It will help those in Pergamum to repent of their idolatry. That is the blessing of the book. Uh, and so if you want to recapture your first love, uh, if you want to stand firm, if you want to repent and grow, then this book is for you uh, and it will bless you. And so what is this book? Uh, the first thing it is, is a letter from John to these seven churches. Uh, the second thing it is, is a prophecy uh, and we'll be quick here, but just notice the language of prophecy there in verse 3. We read it before, but it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Uh, the book also finishes by reminding us that it is a prophecy. And so you get chapter 1, chapter 22. It's a bookend. It's a prophecy. Uh, now, when you hear prophecy, uh, don't think kind of future telling. Uh, we often assume that prophecy means telling the future. Uh, and so if we hear that revelation is a prophecy, then we'll assume that, well, it's telling us all about the future. Uh, but that's not actually how the Bible speaks about prophecy. Uh, according to the Bible, prophecy simply means speaking the word of God in a way that points towards Jesus. And sometimes it's about the future. Uh, and I think you kind of see that there in verses 2 and 3. So look again at how John describes this book. Uh, it says, John testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And then he says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this 
prophecy. And so we get three descriptions, the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, and prophecy. And I think these two other things, the word of God, testimony of Jesus, actually help us understand what it means for this book to be a prophecy. Uh, and to be a prophecy is to be the word of God. It's a word from God. And it points towards Jesus. Uh, and so, Grace City, Revelation is not an appendix to your Bible, even though it's at the end. It is not about different stuff to the rest of your Bible. It is the Word of God about Jesus Christ. Um, just quickly, have a look at Revelation 19.10. Uh, I'll show the ESV. It says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, did you catch that? For something to be prophecy means it must point towards Jesus. Um, and so if you're ever reading Revelation and you feel a little bit lost, maybe you're lost with the seven-headed dragon, ask yourself, where do I see Jesus in this? Uh, what does this tell me about Jesus? Uh, but Revelation isn't just a prophecy, it's also an apocalypse. Uh, a letter, prophecy, apocalypse. Uh, the word apocalypse actually comes from the Greek word apokalupsis, uh, and that's actually the first word of the book in Greek. Uh, it's the word we translate as revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, but the word apocalypse actually has nothing to do with the end of the world, which is often how we use it. Uh, it simply uh, has that association because we think that this book called Revelation, the Apocalypse, is all about the end of the world. Um, but the word apocalypse actually just means to reveal, to unveil, to uncover. And so when Jesus says that he reveals the Father, um, he uses that word, apocalypsis. He apocalypses the Father. Uh, and so as an apocalypse, this book is a revelation. It's revealing something to us. Um, but the word apocalypse uh, can also refer to a particular genre or a style of writing. Um, you'll actually find apocalyptic sections in the Old Testament, uh, books like Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, they've got bits. Um, and really the defining feature of apocalyptic writing is highly vivid visual imagery. Uh, see, throughout most of the Bible, um, what we're normally given is verbal statements about what God said. We're given God's words. But in Apocalypse, we aren't so much given words as much as we're given pictures. Uh, and so John doesn't tell us so much what he heard as much as what he saw. Uh, you can see verse 2. John testifies not to what he heard, but to everything he saw. It's all visual. Uh, and so you get visions of angels, beasts, and plagues, and all those other things. Uh, but the important thing to know is that all of this visual imagery is highly symbolic. It's symbolic language. Uh, and that means we're not meant to take it super literally in the same way that when Jesus says he's the bread of life, we're not meant to ask whether he's a sourdough or gluten-free. 
Uh, it's, it's symbolic, you see. Um, but here's the thing. When Jesus says he's the bread of life, that's quite a simple picture. Uh, the problem with Revelation is that it tends to use more complex, multi-layered uh, images and symbols. Uh, one of those layers tends to be the use of uh, highly symbolic numbers. And so, for example, chapter 12, you get a woman with 12 stars in her hair, and she is giving birth to a baby, and there is a seven-headed red dragon with 10 horns waiting to devour that baby. I think it's actually speaking about the birth of Jesus. It is Christmas for you. Um, you can see, uh, there's a fresh angle. Um, you can see it's, it's a more complex, multi-layered kind of imagery going on there. Uh, and sometimes we're told what all these symbols mean. Uh, actually, at the end of our chapter that we're looking at, uh, we're told the seven lampstands are the seven churches. But most of the time, we aren't told what all the symbols mean. And so how are we going to work it all out? How are we going to work out what it all means? Uh, well, the key to making sense of all the symbolic imagery in Revelation is actually the Old Testament. Uh, see, Revelation actually has more references to the Old Testament than the rest of the New Testament put together. Uh, most commentators agree that actually more than half the verses in Revelation have some Old Testament reference behind them. And so if you pick any verse in old, uh, Revelation, chances are there's an Old Testament reference going on. Uh, and so, uh, almost always, when you come across a strange image or symbol in Revelation, uh, it will usually link back to some Old Testament passage. And if you go back and read that Old Testament passage in context, that's important, uh, it'll actually help you understand what's going on in Revelation. Uh, and so in community groups this coming week, we're going to actually work through John's description of Jesus that we get in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to chase up some of the Old Testament references and to see how it helps us understand what John's actually saying about Jesus. Uh, and so as you, as we read Revelation, my encouragement is to read it with Revelation in one hand and the Old Testament in the other. Uh, and if you're wondering, like, how do I find all these Old Testament references? Um, a Bible with footnotes or kind of little references in the margin, um, they will usually tell you the most important references to look at. Uh, so that's handy. But suppose you ask the question, why would John, why would God bother with all this complex imagery? Um, why not just tell us the meaning of it all? Why not just tell us that Jesus is wise, strong, powerful, rather than telling us that he has white hair, bronze feet, and a sword coming out of his mouth? Um, I reckon there's a couple of reasons for this imagery. Um, the first is that um, this visual imagery has a way of tapping into our imagination, uh, our emotions, and it helps us to actually get a fresh appreciation for Jesus and God's purposes in the world. And so I could tell you that your sins are forgiven in Jesus. Or I could tell you that you've been given 
a white robe dipped in the blood of the Lamb. Um, I could tell you that Jesus is both humble and mighty, or I could tell you that in the throne room of heaven, there is one who is both a lion and a lamb. Uh, And that visual imagery does something to us. Uh, It helps us appreciate the gospel in a fresh way, to see things that maybe we hadn't seen before. Um, Daryl Johnson, he says this in his book, Discipleship on the Edge. He says, Apocalyptic literature accomplishes its purpose through vivid imagery, sometimes grotesquely vivid imagery. Why? Because truth conveyed in imagery transforms our vision more powerfully than truth conveyed in propositional language. Uh, Imagery goes beyond the intellect, through the emotions, into the imagination. That is where we live, in the imagination. Uh, Imagery has the capacity to go beyond the intellect, through the emotions, into the imagination, so the intellect is informed and the emotions are ignited with hope. Um, That's the first reason... I think that God has given us this book with all this complex imagery. Uh, The second reason is, I think, a little more profound, and it is to give us a heavenly spiritual perspective on earthly reality. See, remember that the word apocalypse uh, means to unveil, uh, to uh, reveal. Uh, And most of us kind of modern Westerners... um, Mostly we just kind of live our lives uh, going off just the stuff we can see. You know, just the world, the here and now, around us. Uh, But the Bible consistently says that actually there is a spiritual world. uh, And there are spiritual realities going on. Uh, And the whole point of all this kind of otherworldly imagery in Revelation is to open our eyes to see these spiritual realities. So that we can see things from God's perspective uh, and anchor our lives in it. Uh, It's like getting an x-ray. See, normally uh, we can't see what's going on beneath our skin. Uh, But if you get an x-ray, it shows you what's going on beneath the surface. Uh, And so you can see the bones and the lungs and things. And suddenly you can see a whole bunch of very real things that you couldn't see before. Uh, The book of Revelation is a bit like getting an x-ray. It shows us very real things that we simply couldn't see before. Uh, It shows us spiritual realities. Uh, And while these realities are often communicated in highly symbolic language, it doesn't mean that those things aren't real. And what's more, when we see those spiritual realities clearly, what we find is that things are often not what they seem. Material wealth turns out to be spiritual poverty and what some call weak, God calls strong. Uh, I think you see this in the letter to the Laodiceans. Jesus says this to them. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me Gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich. Um, Can you see there's a spiritual perspective on earthly reality? Uh, And while this is a pretty straightforward example, 
Um, This is kind of really what the book is trying to show us. Uh, The aim of the book is that these spiritual realities would become more real to us than what we see in the world around us. That's the point of all this apocalyptic imagery. Uh, And so what is this book? It's a letter written to seven churches. Uh, It's a prophecy that points us to Jesus. And it's an apocalypse that shows us spiritual reality. That's what it is. But what's it about? Uh, I reckon it's about three things. Jesus, the victory of Jesus, and us. Jesus, victory, and us. Uh, First, it's about Jesus. Uh, We won't take long on this. We've kind of already looked at some of it. But just notice from the very beginning, Revelation is all about Jesus. Uh, You can see there, verse 1, if you've got your Bible, NIV says it's the revelation from Jesus Christ. ESV says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, as in about him. Uh, Both are valid translations. I wonder if it's a bit of both. Uh, It's the revelation from Jesus, and it's about Jesus. Uh, And notice from the very beginning of the vision that John gets, uh, Jesus sits right at the very center. Uh, Notice the first thing John sees is Jesus. Uh, And we're given this glorious picture of Jesus uh, with this rich symbolism. Uh, And so he's dressed in a long robe, which symbolizes him being our priest. It's the book of Exodus. Uh, He has white hair. His eyes are fire, which symbolizes his wisdom, his knowledge. Uh, That's the book of Daniel, Ezekiel. His feet are bronze and his voice is a torrent. Uh, That's Ezekiel. Uh, And the words of his mouth are sharp and powerful. Uh, That's Isaiah. Uh, He is the first. He is the last. He was the one who was dead, but is now alive. And while this Jesus is glorious and mighty, it's also the same Jesus who died on the cross for us. Notice verses 5 and 6. We get this beautiful summary of the gospel. Um, John says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Notice Jesus has done three things for us. He's loved us, he's freed us from our sins, and he's made us into a kingdom. It's the gospel. Uh, And so if you're new with us, if you're still exploring Christianity, I want to say that while Revelation might seem intimidating, it is a good book to look at uh, because in it, we're going to meet Jesus. Uh, It's all about Jesus. Uh, But in particular... Revelation uh, is kind of especially about the victory of Jesus. Uh, It's the second thing Revelation is about, the victory. Uh, And I think you see this in the very next verse from the one we just read in verse 7. John says, uh, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. It's a picture of Jesus' victory, and it uses the language of his coming to describe that victory. But here's where we run into a little complication, and the complication is this. Which coming is this talking about? 
Which victory is it talking about? Uh, See, there are actually three different comings, uh, three different victories of Jesus. And we're going to diagram this up a bit. Uh, The first coming of Jesus when he came as a man. Uh, He won victory over Satan, sin and death on the cross and in his resurrection. That's his first coming. But his second coming is actually when he ascends from earth and comes before the Father. Uh, Did you notice that language of coming with the clouds? That's actually taken from Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel 7, it says that the Son of Man comes with clouds, not to earth, but before the Ancient of Days. Uh, And Jesus is there now, reigning in victory. That's his second coming. Uh, But the third coming is when he will come back to earth to bring final judgment and renewal. And so you've got the cross to the throne. But let me ask you, in verse 7, which coming is it talking about? It's kind of a tricky question. My hunch is that it's probably the third. Um, But it raises the question, when do all the different things in Revelation actually happen? Um, Like, if Revelation is about the coming and the victory of Jesus, which coming, which victory is it about? Is it about all three? The first, second, two of them? Um, Well, maybe you've got a gut reaction. Um, But there are actually different ways of answering this question. Uh, And so, diagrams. Um, Some people will say that actually everything described in Revelation has already happened. Uh, It's actually a symbolic description of events that happened in the first century. It's all done. Uh, And that's what's called the preterist position. Um, Others will say that actually uh, the book of Revelation maps out specific events that will take place between the first century and Jesus' final return. And so the first few chapters of the book will there about the first few hundred years of Christian history. And then as you work through the book, you kind of get closer and closer to the present day. And people try and match up different bits with different events like 9-11, World War II. They'll say, ah, this bit is about that. Um, That's called the historicist position. But other people will say, no, it's not about specific events or time periods in history. Um, The book is more about general patterns that characterize every era. Uh, And so every era will have things that fit the general mould of things like an antichrist, things like a beast. Uh, And the book isn't about specific things like Hitler or 9-11. That's the idealist position. Uh, Last position uh, says basically everything in the book is about specific future events. Uh, There'll be beasts, there'll be wars, none of it's happened yet. Uh, That's the futurist So what do you do with all of this? I mean, uh, maybe you're feeling a bit lost, a bit overwhelmed. How do we make sense of all this? Um, Well, I think the danger with each of those four interpretations is that we become so committed to our interpretation that we let the book speak for itself. Uh, We end up squashing the details to fit our interpretation. What we want to do is fit our interpretation to the book, uh, to let it speak for itself. Uh, And what we're going to find is that 
some of the things in the book do have a level of fulfillment in first century events. But these events actually teach us about things that characterise every generation um, at every point in time. And so this book says something to every generation. Uh, And all of this points forward to events that are really distinct future events, like the return of Jesus, where he makes everything new. And so the book isn't really as neat as we'd like it to be. Uh, But we want to let the book speak for itself. Uh, If you want a label for that thing, you could call it eclectic idealism or something. Um, Quick word on structure of the book. Um, The book is actually structured around sets of seven, and so you get seven letters. You get seven seals that are all opened, uh, seven trumpets, and so forth. And the key thing to know is that uh, these sets of seven, with a couple of exceptions, actually retell the same events from different perspectives. Uh, It's like a Christopher Nolan movie. You kind of get the same scene multiple times, different perspectives. Um, I I love that storytelling. It's a good book, this one. Um, That's kind of what's happening with each set of seven. Um, Same events, different angle. Um, But just as I close, let's think about us. Because this book isn't just about Jesus and his victory. It's about us. Uh, And one of the dangers with Revelation is that we spend so much time trying to understand and interpret the book that we actually forget to submit our lives to it. Um, That is the point of the book. Um, Now, at some level, we do need to understand what the book's actually saying before we know what it means for our lives. But we want to make sure that we actually take that last step. And because, remember, the blessing of the book is for those who read and hear and take it to heart. Uh, And so just have a look at what Nancy Guthrie says who's in the study uh, community group uh, from last week, but I'll share it again. She says, I've realised something as I've been studying Revelation. We begin our study of this book thinking that our biggest challenge is going to be understanding it, and it isn't. The biggest challenge is opening ourselves up to the adjustments in our lives that this book calls for. Yet this biggest challenge is also what promises the greatest blessing. And so as we start this book of Revelation, will you listen to what it's saying? Will you be careful not to mishear what it's saying? But more than that, will you take it to heart, uh, submit your life to it, letting its blessing permeate and saturate your life? Uh, Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Um, our Saviour, our glorious King. Uh, And we pray that you will please bless us. Uh, God, please bless us as we look at this book. Um, We pray that we would be a church that takes it to heart. Uh, And as we do this, we pray, transform us uh, by your Spirit. Uh, Make us look more like Jesus. Uh, And we pray it in his name. Amen.